the sound of Above the Break, episode 12. This is Nevin Brown, and as always, I'm joined by James Piercy. What's up? Oh, yeah. So, James, how is your Rockets Twitter clout going? Oh, I'm swimming in clout, buddy. You know, I, just, I, I saw you won your first round matchup, uh, I believe. And I won my second round matchup, too. Damn, the Cinderella story. So you what? That means you made it to the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, and then I got eliminated by blocked by KJ Martin. Uh, you know, for what it's worth, for what it's worth, I went into the Batman and I came out and I was eliminated. And uh, my opponent had posted about the matchup like five times. You know, so I was like, if I'd been online to promote this, it could have went differently, but. You know, that's that's okay. I was just happy to be a participant, to be honest with you. So yeah, no, making the big dance is a big deal. And also, um, here's the thing. You if you have to promote winning a Twitter tournament for Rockets Twitter clout, you don't have that much clout. You know, like you want to just win on your own clouty merit. Yeah, no, I would would agree. That's right. Yeah. I I, I don't mean not to disrespect the guy that won. I've never interacted with him or anything, actually. But like, I just kind of laughed. I came out of the movie. I looked at my phone. I'd lost and I was tagged in like five things of him posting, like vote for me, you know? And I was like, well, I just loved the shit out of the Batman. So that's right. That's nice. I mean, like, look, who needs Twitter clout when you got that gout clout? That's really, that's really what matters. That's right. All right, this is going to be a fun episode, everyone. I think, I hope. God, well, it's going to be fun for us, right? Maybe not fun for the listeners. So uh, <laughs> bear with us. Torture chamber time. <laughs> uh, we're going to kick this episode off talking about John Morant and you know the conversation about is he the MVP? I love John Morant, but I think talking about his MVP candidacy will like expand on like how people consume the NBA and like how people think about awards voting. I have to make a confession. I was wrong about D'Lo. I'm sorry, D'Angelo Russell. You've been better than I expected, and I need to apologize. And we need to get into the great season he's having because he's a big reason why the Minnesota Timberwolves, who were my pick to finish fourth in the West, um, not the best pick, but also not the worst pick. They've been really good. Then we're going to get into the Warriors. They're sliding. They're they're, they're going down. And I want to ask James... Did they make a mistake not adding at the deadline? Because I believe they might have. Now, the biggest news in the NBA, Hamas Harden, or Hamas Ardeen, <laughs> Joel Embiid, and the Philadelphia 76ers are doing big things. We got to talk about that because let's be real here. Superstars move the needle, and we need the needle to be moved. Then we're going to finish up the episode with a Rockets roundup. Talk about Jalen Green leveling up into not a complete and utter net negative to being a just a run-of-the-mill, pretty bad NBA player, which is fantastic news for the Rockets because that's what you want from a super young second overall pick, to be completely honest. Also, I need to make fun of Christian Wood. And we might get into a little bit about the Rockets' development strategy and what do we like about it, what we don't, and whether or not there's merits to other developmental organizational strategies, such as just let the young guys stink up the joint and make Shy Gilgis Alexander really want to demand a trade. <laughs> 
thinly veiled shots at the thunder. I thought you would appreciate not, that. Not, not even veiled. <laughs> open shots at the thunder. <laughs> well, they miss a lot of open shots, so I'm not too <laughs> fucking right. worried about the the, the clapback. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, James. Let's get us going with Ja Morant. The most sensational, the most dynamic, the most box office, the most popcorn. He is the Batman of this NBA season. Matter of fact, he might be Spider-Man No Way Home or whatever the fuck that movie was. He is, he's taken the league by storm. Second overall pick behind Zion Williamson. People are already talking about how the Pelicans made a mistake not drafting John Morant, which sure they did, but you can't predict a player not playing ever. So, you know, that's kind of a cheap shot. Not going to lie. Even though we made a lot of cheap shots about Zion's weight. Sorry, Zion. Um, apparently you lost weight. So James, let's just kick it off with is Ja Morant the MVP? So I'm going to go with no, but it's, I think we might end up having a debate on this one because it's, it's, it's not in favor of the guy that I think you would say is the MVP. Really? So, Danilo Banton, you don't think he's the MVP? <laughs> Banton, Banton Dimes, baby. Shout out to one of my uh, least favorite accounts on Twitter, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. I watched a little bit of a Rockets game and like the one part I was paying attention, I mean, a Raptors game and the one part I was paying attention to, where I saw Banton shoot. He airballed a three. So, MVP. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> no, he, he's got a little potential, but uh, I don't think he's the MVP. Uh, I, to me right now, Joel Embiid is the MVP and I am a stickler for like, you had to have decent seating. You have to be a bona fide contender. So I think Jokic, like the numbers probably suggest that he's the best player in the league. I'll give you that. But yeah. to me, that's not what MVP means, but it's still not jaw for me. It's, it's, it's Joel Embiid because I think that Joel Embiid is better than John Morant and he's got the team success argument as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I th- I'll say this. John Morant isn't the MVP. Should he be in the conversation on the periphery? Sure. Yeah. That's great. Um, I I don't like doing seeding. I think seeding is stupid um, for I like team record. Fine. I get that. But like seeding, it's like you could be the one seed in the East. And like, I guess theoretically you could win the East with like 50 wins and a team could win 53 games and be like the four seed in the other conference. So I tend to like kind of throw seeding, out just because it's like, well, that's not, it's why are we penalizing someone for winning maybe more games or slightly fewer games in a tougher conference? That seems like a weird way to penalize people. I go with Jokic just because like, I think he's the best player in the league and he's just doing stuff that's absurd. He's his two best teammates have missed the entire season basically. And while Embiid didn't have Ben Simmons, I always find it confusing where it's like the same people that said Ben Simmons is a bum are then using the fact that Ben Simmons never played as a reason why Embiid's, you know, he's without his like, you know, trusty sidekick. And I'm just like, how, how can those two thoughts come out of the same head? Can't both be a bum and costing your team a lot. And also like the Sixers were like a pretty well-constructed deep team. So you know, there's that. Well, I I think that Embiid deserves a lot of MVP consideration for like dragging the team, not single-handedly, but but they've done really well this season in spite of lacking who in theory should be their second best player, right? So yeah. I, I think that has a lot to do with Embiid's MVP case. It's like, hey, this team's been near the top of the conference in spite of the fact that the guy who's supposed to be the number two is just on the bench for reasons that 
I would mostly blame the organization for, but nonetheless, it is what it is, yeah. you know? Yeah, you can't change what happened, right? Like exactly. That's right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I, I will say this as well, man. Uh, I think that Giannis probably still has a stronger MVP case than yes. John Morant. And, oh, yes. Yeah, and Jimmy Butler might too. So, like, uh, to me, I love he's it. just not the MVP yet. Uh, his basic counter stats are sensational his highlight reel is sensational but he's still really lagging in the metrics it's also worth noting that the team did play quite well without him you know like like i i I think he's excellent uh franchise player really exciting young player but no i couldn't give him the mvp award this season yeah and like the other thing is like he's missed actually a fair amount of games this year so for guys that like haven't missed a lot of games like that's should count against him and i think what we're highlighting is is what needs to be brought up. The three best players in the league by a pretty significant margin. There's these top three, there's Jokic, there's Embiid, and there's Giannis this year. And those three are like by far the best players in the league. And it gets into what I want to talk about next is the three best players in the league have one thing very much in common. They are gigantic people. Yeah. And John Morant, part of, I think, what makes him such an appealing player to watch is that he is a very tiny NBA player. He's not a tiny human being, but he's not by any stretch of the imagination, a large person. And he's leading the league in field goals at the rim. And I think he's like the first, or maybe it's field goal percentage at the rim. I can't, I can't remember. It's well, it's probably not field goal percentage at the rim. It's Cause it's the guys not, that just, be. they just do the, the, the lob catch dunk, but yeah, I go bears shooting like 70% from the field. So it must be field goals made at the, at the, at the rim, but that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what makes him. And this is what I kind of want to get into. I think John Morant is like, the most aesthetically pleasing player to watch. He's just like so much fun to watch, but that doesn't mean he's the most productive. And I think that conversations tend to get it at times. I think by the end of the season, people tend to go, what happened? Not what did it make me feel? Cause John Morant makes you feel something more than watching like Jokic, like get a layup because he's just a beast or, you know, Embiid drawing, 15 fouls in a game. Embiid in particular does not have an aesthetically pleasing game, right? Like he did like, cause Jokic at least whips those like crazy passes you've never seen before. And and B just kind of like bruises his way to the bucket and, and he's got some finesse. He's got like great footwork. Obviously we're talking about amazing players, but yeah, yeah. to me, the point stands the most strongly with Embiid. Like you'd rather watch John Morant play every night unless you're a fan of the team. And then you'd you'd probably rather watch Embiid do his thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of what I want to get back to though. There's like one of the fundamental issues with basketball that fans need to embrace is being tall is a significant advantage. Yeah. Like all things being equal. If I like, I know, man, these two guys are the exact same player pretty much. I'll take the taller one. Right. Like, and I think that's the problem with John Morant is that it's like, he actually probably never can win an MVP simply because he is too short. Like he can basically, it will be almost impossible for him to ever be an elite defender just based upon what he's shown in the NBA thus far and based upon his size, right? Like you can be up in someone's fucking grill, but if they're six foot 10, they're probably going to be able to get a shot off and you're not going to be able to affect it all that much because if they get you on a pump fake, you're up in the air, they sidestep, and then it's an easy look. Right. And so I think that's like, to me, what sucks for the John Morant MVP thing is it's like, he is so good. He does so many incredible things. And like for him 
And he basically, those incredible things can never really lead to him being the best player in the league because of the fact that like he is just too small. Who's the last guard to win MVP? Well, actually, you know, guards win. Russ, Harden. I, I, I guess that does happen. It happens. Russ gets you 10 boards and Harden gets you eight and a half boards. Like, like, and they're bigger dudes. And they are bigger dudes. Yeah. And the other thing is this is like, if John Morant wants to win an MVP, his offense basically needs to be near best in the league. Yeah. And it's not. I just want like, to clarify something about what I was just saying too, which is that like, I don't think that those rebounds are tremendously important towards what ought to be a good MVP case. But there's a funny thing that happens where the, the way we perceive players, like it's really hard to get away psychologically from looking at points, rebounds, assists. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, right. Like Russ, when he averaged 30, 10 and 10, you know, to the logical brain, it's like, well, that 10 doesn't really matter. The Thunder are like specifically scheming for him to get those rebounds. But it's hard to deny that you look at that 30, 10, and 10, and, and part of your head goes like MVP, you know, like, like, like a switch, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, like Morant could maybe become an MVP. I'm skeptical that he will be able to on just the simple accounting of like small players have a really hard time winning it. And then the other thing just being, and this is most crucial, it's like for him to take the next step, he basically needs to become a really good three-point shooter because his ability to get to and finish at the rim, I don't think that's something because of like what it requires physically from him that he can like really improve on all that much. So it's like that attribute feels really maxed out and yeah. that's a credit to him. Yeah. But it's likely that like this will be his best season of his career getting to and finishing at the rim just because of like the physical realities of what it takes for him to do that. He wouldn't even sustain this pace for another few years, but it's hard to imagine that he'll improve on that skill, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so it's really the next level has to be either like he really takes a step forward and becomes an elite, elite passer, not just like I collapse a defense and I can make a pass, right? Like that's Russell Westbrook, right? That yeah. that caps you as being like a, a good offensive engine, but you're not an elite, elite playmaker like a Chris Paul or like a Jokic, right? Or even like a Luka Doncic, guys that like – they don't need to break a defense down and they can still make killer passes. So unless he develops a really consistent three point shot, that's above average or um, that playmaking takes an another step. I just, I feel like it's going to be hard for him to become a true MVP level player, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be a ton of fun because like Allen Iverson was a ton of fun. And like, he was never really an MVP quality player. Granted he won one, but like he, you know, I think Morant's going to be one of those guys where like we look back 20 years and like his cultural impact and like hit the way he resonates in our brain outseeds his production. And that's totally fine. But I think yeah, that's to like, fun and, and good for his franchise and we'll still yeah. get you wins. Like the quality yeah. guard play like that'll still get you wins. Yeah. Really, really good. It's like, I think one of the things that always gets on my nerves is it's like, I think this guy's like one of the 10, 15 best players in the league. I don't think he's the best. That's slander, bro. It's not fucking slander to say someone's one of the 15 best people at basketball in the world but I don't think they're actually the best player in the world. Like, how is that fucking slander? I'm saying they're amazing. It's actually reaching a point with the word slander that I think it's going to be one of those things where the definition of the word organically changes. Because at this point, so many people use it incorrectly that I just, I, I give up. I'm like, okay, I guess that's what slander means now. I, I guess slander is a synonym for criticism now. It used to be 
criticism that was based in like like non-reality. Like slander was to publicly lie about somebody, but now saying anything bad about anybody ever is slander, according to NBA Twitter. I I don't know when it happened. Yeah, it's it's not even it's, it's slander to be like, hmm, this guy hasn't been very good. Slander. slander. Yeah. Well, I okay. So like, did he not go four of twenty two from the field? Like, what, what yeah, do you want me to do? I know, it's like measurable. Slander is like, this guy's cheating on his wife when he isn't. You know, that's slander, right? Like, it's literally, it's falsehood. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's got to be based in falsehood. That's what yes. slander means as a word. Okay, let's move off of yeah. a small point guard and move to a slightly bigger, but still kind of smallish combo guard. D'Angelo Russell, who I've, probably said is a bum <laughs> before um i'm not gonna lie that probably is now uh slander i will admit i probably slandered delo's good name um i was wrong about him in that i thought he wasn't this good i mean he's not one of you know the 10 best players in the league not one of the 15 best players in the league probably not even one of the top 25 best players in the league but i kind of put him in maybe he's outside the top 50 and i think he's shown he is a top 50 NBA player. Granted, he does have a really good environment to operate in. He gets to play alongside Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, who takes some pressure off of what you, it allows him to play in a way that's best suited for his skill set. But we're talking about a guy since he's been in Minnesota um, the last two seasons, taking away when he got traded. We're talking about a guy who's got a 3.1 offensive box plus minus negative 1.5 defensive box plus minus grant. They've been a bad defensive team, but we know he's not a good defensive player. So we're talking about a player who's like a good offensive player. He's been really strong this season. His usage rate has taken a step back and he still maintained his production levels. I have to, he's only 25 too. I mean, I probably should not have given up on someone uh, this young and talented, but James, like, do you think this is kind of the ceiling for D'Angelo Russell? Or does he have like another gear he can get to? And I guess the final thing would be like, is him being the third best-ish player on a playoff team kind of his ceiling? Yeah, okay. I mean, question one and three are kind of the same in a sense because that's what, that's what he currently is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, like, I want to say this. If I had to guess, this is probably his ceiling. At the same time, Am I learning nothing? You know what I mean? Because it's like, I, I first of all, I, I agreed with you, like, say, last season. I thought he's not a very good NBA player. He's not productive. You know, like, he he's prone to inefficiency. Uh, he's talented, but he won't get it together. I, I would have said a lot of those things about him, right? Yeah. And we were wrong. So I'm a little hesitant to say this is his ceiling because I was wrong about him before. But it's kind of hard to see a lot of avenues for him to, to improve past this point because he's having a really good season. I want to say a couple of things about him that go a little bit off the path that that you laid out. First thing I want to say is this. When this guy was coming into the league, I was really excited about him. Like six, seven years ago, I was really, really excited about him because his passing highlights from college, some of those passes you've never seen in your life, you know, like, and Passing, as I'm sure I've said many times on this podcast, is my favorite component of basketball. And he can really sling some passes, man. Like, he, he's got creativity and vision. He's got that trait, you know? 
And then he came into the league and he, and he tried to be a bucket getter, I think, for several seasons. I think that's what held him back. I, I think part of it is that he wasn't true to himself. For, or maybe he was put in roles where he was expected to be a primary scorer when really he's best as a distributor who, who can also get buckets, you know, when there's too much attention on Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards or whatever. Right. So yeah. I, I think I, I do think this is the best role for him is like third best offensive player on the team and focus on on distributing. Yeah, Last thing I want to say, yeah, so yeah, is I, I I do think that the general collective view of him, and this includes both of us, because like I said, I, I was down on him too, reflects a, a tendency that I find a little problematic with modern basketball discourse, right? Which is that like, okay, it's the age of information, right? And with the age of information has come the death of expertise, and what I think happens is we have a confidence in our ability to project players now that's not quite warranted. It's something I notice a lot. Like when you see draft Twitter guys talk, it's like, oh, well, these are measurables, so there's no chance he can be a good NBA player, and that's the bottom line, it's already confirmed. And it's like, yo, this guy's in college. You, like, you don't know what might happen, right? So here's D'Angelo Russell breaking out six seasons deep when a lot of guys probably had him written off, you know, year two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do want to say it's like, he was, he is one of these guys where the way he plays, he isn't very efficient in terms of his scoring, but as you're saying, his passing is what makes him special. And I think, I think those guys can sometimes be difficult to gauge because for them to be special at passing, you kind of need to let them be inefficient at scoring. It's kind of like the Russell Westbrook problem. And I do think there's like a cap to how good those players can be and how far you can go if a team is built around that type of player. Because again, at the end of the day, it's like you just got to make shots above an elite average rate to be an elite offense. And if you're not doing it and you constantly have the ball in your hand, it doesn't matter if you're helping your teammates do it a little bit. It like, it comes back to bite you. I, for him, for him, I just see a guy where it's like he's a high volume-ish three-point shooter who shoots about an league average rate, finishes twos at a below league average rate. He doesn't really get to the free throw line much. He's a okay free throw shooter. So it's like he, the pressure on him, I think, is he can maybe take a step up and be better for a really good team if he's able to kind of improve his playmaking without having to increase his volume of shooting. It's like, can he decrease the volume of shooting and increase his playmaking? And I think that's a really difficult thing to do. And it's like, that's the problem with Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook can only increase his playmaking through increasing his shooting. And it's like, it's like, oh fuck, like the best thing he, the only way to get something out of him that he's good at is for him to do something he's bad at. Daniel Russell is better at shooting than, um, Russell Westbrook. So like there's less of a concern with that, but for an elite team, if he can figure thread that needle in the next stage of his development. And obviously like if he can improve on defense, that would make him dramatically better, just like being average ish instead of bad. But that to me is like the next step for him, because I think you're right. Like the passing, the dribbling, the ability to hit tough shots, like those are all really valuable, but at a certain point it's like, you have to do one thing when it comes to scoring at an elite level to be an elite offensive player. And he can't really do that. So it's like, can he become an elite passer without being a ball hog? 
Yeah, you're right. That 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 seems the most obvious avenue for him to improve. I guess the other avenue is if he could just improve his shooting, right? Like if he could, if he could, you know, if he could just improve his stroke. That's kind of the simpler in theory, but more difficult in practice approach to, yeah, to improvement yeah. for him. Because he's one of these guys where I think he's a really, really good shooter. He just has basically no physical advantages at the yeah. NBA level. So it's like how, like at a certain point, it's like he actually probably can't become an elite finisher unless he just becomes like Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, like from beyond three point range. Right. And like asking someone to do that when they're already really good at hitting tough threes is kind of a it's like that's not really reasonable yeah you know no, what i'm saying yeah because there are these guys and uh they tend to fall in the same camp where it's like they're actually you know they're amazing shooters and they're elite shot creators but they don't have great shooting percentages because like they just don't have any physical advantages so they don't get the the ease they can't create easy looks consistently to like bolster their efficiency and those are a lot of players like jamal crawford isaiah thomas like these guys where it's like how are these guys still not in the league they can still get a bucket it's like because dude being able to get a tough bucket isn't as good as being able to get an easy bucket like yeah, yeah like well that's said. the reality well it's said. like it, it's kind of goes to the john morant mvp thing it's like john morant can can convert incredibly tough layups and he can create incredibly tough layups but it's like it's it's more efficient and better if you can just create really fucking easy looks. Yeah, exactly. Let, 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 let's, let's move it on. That's uh, that's, that's so true though. It's like, Oh, you can get a tough bucket. Like, yeah. Okay. But can he make easy buckets or can he create easy buckets? Yeah. No, like the ability to create easy buckets is actually what makes you an elite offensive player, not the ability to hit tough shots. Like if you can do both superstar, right? Like that's great. That's what we want. But like, I would rather a guy being able to get easy buckets consistently. Well, like put it this way, Giannis Antetokounmpo is not a guy who has a particular knack for getting tough buckets. Reason being, it's also possible for bucket to even be tough for him. Do you know what I'm saying? Because like just with his physical advantages, he 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 it's almost like he just creates easy buckets. Like what like there's no reason for a shot to be tough for him really, you know? He's not going to shoot like contested threes. So it's like, are you going to hold that against him that he's not hitting like, like double hezzy turnaround fadeaway one-legged trick shots? You know, like he doesn't need to do that. He dribbles in and dunks. Yeah. And I think when guys don't have to do that, you should give them bonus points. Cause that means they're really fucking good. Yeah. But I digress because once again, what makes you really good at basketball and what makes you fun to watch, unfortunately are kind of two different things. Often. Yeah. Yes. All right. The Warriors. Let's talk about the Golden State Warriors. Everyone's finals favorite after the first five games. And <laughs> Steph Curry was the runaway MVP after five games. And they both, I mean, obviously they were better for more than five games. And so is Steph, but like they've had a tough go of it recently. Draymond Green's injury has not helped. Andrew Wiggins being an all-star starter has not helped apparently um, because he's really fallen off. But if you just go look at their basketball reference page, they have this thing where it shows their wins and their losses. And there's all these green marks with their margin of victory. And then there's all these red marks when you lose first half, got a lot of big, tall green marks. Second half, you got a fair amount of big old red marks. They've been playing more like a 500 ish team in the second half of the season kind of around when Clay Thompson got reinserted into the starting lineup. So I just want to say, did the Warriors cost themselves a chance to win a championship by not 
consolidating their, you know, pretty expansive collection of good, highly thought of prospects to go get a real difference maker. What do you think I'm going to say? I'm, I mean, I'm not, don't bring up Christian Wood, but, um, no, 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 I mean, they'd be, they'd be in the toilet if they had made that deal, but I beat this drum hard, man. I thought they needed to consolidate those players and, and yeah, they, 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 they blew it. I don't know what, what might've been on the table, you know, well, let's look at the trade deadline. Like they probably, maybe they could have got some bonus, man. The bonus, they could have probably gotten some bonus. They probably could have gotten, I mean, granted, if Indiana came or Sacramento showed up and said, here's Tyrese Halliburton, I don't know if they could have offered a package that's better than here's Tyrese Halliburton. Like maybe you take Kuminga, Wiseman, and Moody, man, maybe. Yeah, no, I mean, maybe, but at the same Kuminga time, probably has a higher ceiling. I love Tyrese Halliburton and I don't yeah. particularly care for Kaminga, but like just due to athletic gifts, he might have a higher ceiling. I, I'd have to think about it if I was a GM because I like Moody too. No, I, I think you would think about it, but I think you'd go, well, let's see. They're offering us a guy who's in the second year of their rookie deal for two guys that are rookies who like, we don't really know what their stats would look like if they weren't basically playing next to like, three future hall of famers and other really high end role players. Right. So it's like Kaminga's stats, like look pretty good, but I just go, you're basically just asking this guy to run to the rim and dunk. And we, we, we all knew he could do that. It's like all the other shit in his game. How good was that going to be? So who else could they have maybe gotten though? Like Jeremy Grant. I mean, you maybe could have done, I'm sure they could have done Jeremy Grant if they offered, you know, one, two, you wouldn't even have to offer all three. And I think the Pistons would have said, Bet. Probably Moody and Wiseman. The Pistons. Yeah. That, that's a pretty good offer for the Pistons. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think if you made a strong push for Beal, the Wizards might have considered it. Yeah. Now, granted, Beal got hurt, and so that completely changed everything. And because he's a pending potential, he's an opt-out, so he's a, poten- a potential pending free agent. Maybe they just didn't want to go with that. But, I mean, fucking James Harden got traded. Yeah. <laughs> like – uh, CJ McCollum got traded, right? Like guys that could have made this team better this season and next season, which I think are the two most important seasons for him, because I, I don't project this team really being a finals contender in three years. Like, would you? No, certainly not. Yeah. No, not unless Kaminga takes an incredible leap, which is effectively what they gambled on here, which is extremely unlikely to happen, I think. So, yeah, no, I. I, I think they blew it. I, I can't understand the rationale behind having like two extremely raw, high upside prospects in Kuminga and Wiseman. Moody seems like more of a ready now player, but he's not still not getting the minutes really because they're a contender. And then having a bunch of old guys ready to contend. Like they, they should have went out and got somebody, man. Big yeah. mistake. Yeah, I, I do think the whole like, we want to be the Spurs. Shut up. Well, this isn't really how the Spurs did it, though, either, right? Yeah, like, they got they got fucking lucky on Kawhi. <laughs> yeah, they got very lucky on Kawhi, right? And like, they, they, you know, they drafted extremely well, and they like they they didn't. The Spurs never did a mini tank to get a Jonathan Kuminga. They they got steals. They stole Parker in the draft. They stole Ginobili in the draft, right? They they tanked one year to get Duncan, and then they were just good for like twenty years, right? Yeah, they, they were shitty. Got the number one overall pick. Got uh, the Admiral David Robinson, probably one of the most underrated all time great players. Like, yeah, I, I don't understand why he doesn't get more love. His his career was shorter due to like you know 
injury and then him fucking serving in the Navy after college, like after four years of college, like fucking beast out here. Didn't you know what I think it is? Uh, yeah, seriously. I, I, but I think it's a little bit that, and we're digressing, but that's okay. That he was decidedly worse than uh, either Shaq or Hakeem. So he's like the third man of his era. Then- and that's the thing. He wasn't decidedly worse. Like obviously the postseason success, he, he was not there. Um, but like, if you go look at his regular season numbers, like he was decidedly better in that era than Hakeem and Shaq. And like, I think Hakeem and Shaq are probably better all-time players. A lot of that I think has to do with the fact that their careers were longer. They entered the league much young or younger and they didn't have like one debilitating injury that kind of made him take a step back to another young player. But like, if you go look at his numbers, you will go, you go like, why don't like this dude was, he fucking, he was like, his, he was insane. He was fucking insanely was. good. Oh, I know. But I guess all I'm saying is, like, it, it's going to be hard to find a popular all-time list that has him ahead of either Shaq or Hakeem. So I think he gets a yeah. little underrated. I think people underrate how much better he was than Patrick Ewing. You know, like, if you're looking at great centers from that era. Patrick like, Ewing, most overrated player ever. He's overrated. He was really good. But, yeah. you know, like, it's like Shaq. Hakeem, Robinson, Ewing, but the gap between Robinson and Ewing is much bigger than the other gaps, you know? Yeah, it's like one, two, three, four, but really it's more like one, two, three, all very close together. You could maybe have them in any order you want, like fight me on that, but like you really could from that era. And then it's like four, five, six at Patrick Ewing. Like there's just like two empty slots to like just hammer home the point. Like Ewing really wasn't all that close. Yeah. I can't remember what we were talking about together. We were talking about the, the, the fucking Warriors yeah. not making a trade. Look, who knows what the offers that were there. Maybe people were like, and this is the, the fundamental issue with the Warriors. is like James Wiseman, we have no fucking clue what he is. They could believe he's a future MVP. I'd be willing to bet he's at best makes an all-star game. Like I just, I, I don't believe in players that when, even as rookies, teams are like we can't fucking play you like yeah like that especially for a guy with his physical advantages where it's like hey like james go stand under the fucking rim and you'll be a plus on defense for us right like it's not like oh like he's a he's a he's a guard where he has to like you know really like adjust to being able to beat nba level perimeter defenders nba level interior defenders and also like i don't know be able to defend guys that are like bigger, faster, and stronger than right now. Right. Like he is bigger than guys and can jump higher than guys. Like you would think they would have been able to find a role where he wasn't a complete net negative last year and they couldn't. And like, you know, there's all sorts of mitigating factors. I just, you know, I'll say this, like I, I just got through saying that I think we have a bit of a tendency in 2022 to be overconfident in our ability to project. So like James Wiseman could still be anything. I have a feeling that he's at a ceiling at his peak, probably like a Clint Capella with a bit of a jump shot is, is what I kind of foresee, you know, which would be a hell of a player. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But not an MVP candidate though. Yeah. I um, guess, I guess the real question is like, is it worth it to fuck up being like, cause I think yeah, it's like, it's like, look, these guys could all work out, but like the reason you guys were a dynasty is you had three hall of famers. You had the best offensive player in the league. You had the best defensive player in the league in Steph and Draymond. And you had 
the most overrated player of their era, Clay Thompson, who is a very, very, very good player. One of the better two-way players. In the and, and a very good two-way player. And like also an elite three-point shooter. And so like you just had this like perfect collection of three future Hall of Famers. And you're basically saying, well, I think James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga could become future Hall of Famers because if they're not future Hall of Famers, you're not winning another champ. You're not winning a championship with them. Yeah. Right? It's like funny. All told, they're in pretty good shape for the present and they're in pretty good shape for the future. But the thing is, is they could have been in the best shape in the league for the present. And instead they're kind of just like in pretty good shape on both timelines, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. It's like, to me, it's like, Oh, like maybe, I don't know. I just, if, if the championship window's there, you, you make it, you make it wider. Yep. Oh, and the championship window in 10 years might be shut anyways because Kaminga and Wiseman like aren't the players you thought they were or like their skill sets don't mesh well which I could actually see yes. happening with those two guys and you have to move off one of them right or Kuminga's a fucking stud Wiseman's a bust Moody's a solid role player and Kuminga wants off the team because he has no help like there's all sorts of things that could that could happen yeah you know yeah, yeah. Warriors you drop the ball and watch them get Draymond and go in the championship and us look like fools. Tell. It won't be because they have Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman. That is true. Like, you know, they could have, they could have swept the playoffs. Okay. Our final topic before the Rockets round up and the most pertinent topic in NBA history, <laughs> James Harden, Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. I believe they're five and O maybe six and O now since they acquired Mr. James Harden, they're second in the East. Granted, they're second in the East with 40 wins, which would make them tied for a four or five, would make them tied for fourth um, and fifth in wins with Dallas and Utah in the West. So they're, they're in really good position. They improved their roster dramatically. Um, they're five and zero when James Harden has played. The one loss they have was they got absolutely but fucked on national TV by the heat. So their, their pairing has been much better than we expected. Granted their wins have come against Minnesota, good team, but they foul a ton. So that's like a bad matchup for them. The Knicks, the fucking Knicks again, Cleveland, good, good team, but that they've, you know, they've had some injuries as of late and then they beat Chicago who can't beat anyone good. So my question for you, James, and it's very, very, very simple. Are the Sixers now the title favorites or the favorites to make it out of the East at least? Do you think they have the best chance to make it out of the Eastern Conference to the finals? And do you think they have the best chance to win a ring this year? Yeah, I kind of do think so. First of all, the, the race is like wide open this year, right? Um Brooke Lopez is not expected to return. Am I correct in saying that? That's a key factor for me. So the Brooke Lopez thing is like, I think he's kind of started coming back. Um, but you just don't know with back injuries, they take a really long time. And even if he can physically go out there and not have his back explode, it doesn't mean that like he'll regain the strength and coordination and the timing that he needs. So Lopez remains a mystery. And I think we we knew that his status for the playoffs remained a mystery when the Bucks gave up Dante DiVincenzo to get fucking Serge Ibaka. Like that, that was kind of the telltale sign on that. Yeah, one. that's right. Exactly. So the Bucks are like, I mean, I, I do like the Bucks. The Bucks are the most serious threat probably at, at the moment, but 
I don't really trust the Suns, man, to be completely honest. I, I, I don't trust Chris Paul's health. And I also, I, I, I just had this feeling about the Suns. Yeah, I know it's ironic, but it's, it's valid. I, I had this feeling about the Suns that like they're a system team and that tends to work a little better in the regular season. Like they don't have a top 10 player and I suspect that that's going to hold them back in, in, in the postseason. I know they made the finals last year. They're a really good team. I just think when it boils down to it, I don't see how this Suns team is going to beat Joel Embiid and James Harden if they're healthy, you know? So, DeAndre, I, I like DeAndre, he deserves the max. He deserves he does the not, max. Does I get not. Let, let, let me say this one thing. I, I want to cut my losses early and correct myself on, on my original Philly uh, take because I said that Joel Embiid was not traditionally a pick and roll finisher and that that was like somehow functionally a problem. It really isn't like they can just run it through Embiid on the low block half the time. And there's nothing like, he's still a good pick and roll finisher. You know, uh, I, I, I was wrong. It's the same way that Paul split his time between on ball and off ball when he was with Harden and be, can split his time between doing his usual and bead thing. And I'm sure he can morph into a, to a high level pick and roll finisher when the time comes, you know, and Harden's actually been working off the ball. So if Harden stays like energized and motivated, they're going to be hard to beat, man. Yeah. They look really good. I, I mean, the, the concerns in the pick and roll for me, wasn't so much like, is Embiid going to be good at finishing? It was more like, by doing this, are you limiting what made him like one of the three best players in the league? Right. Like that, that was my concern. It doesn't appear that's going to be the case. Um, so that's a huge win. Also, he's not like, I think we over, we, we kind of overthought it. We're like, Oh, well like Harden needs a pick and roll lob finisher. No, he can like hit him, you know, 10 feet from the rim. He can take a dribble, dunk it, pull up. Like, you know, like we, we thought that he needed to be the Clint Capella lob finisher. Cause that's what we'd seen with James Harden. And that's not the case. And James Harden going to feed him the fucking ball. And if Joel Embiid has a head of steam, catches the ball and is going towards the basket, you know, I, I think outside of Brooke Lopez and Giannis coming over, there's not many things you can do to stop that potentially. Yeah. I do. I do think that the one concern I would have is that like they losing Seth Curry could come back and bite them. If you know, Harden's not hitting threes. I don't think Harden, like, even though he's been good, Harden doesn't have that same burst. I, I, I just think maybe that burst is gone or that hamstring injury still is lingering. We won't see his burst until next year. And by then he's old enough that that burst might just be gone period. So I do think that they like, there could be room for Harden to not be as good as we've seen because like, let's be real here. He's got a 72.6 true shooting percentage. I'm no math magician, but I feel like there's some regression to the mean coming on his shooting. And when that happens, what happens to their offense? Like, I think the big thing with superstars, it's not, what does it look like when everything's going well? obviously amazing. The question is, what does it look like when things aren't going well? Cause your superstars are still going to take those shots, still going to take those opportunities, even when the ball's not falling. So I just kind of want to see, like, I think a bad game from the pair will tell us a lot about what this team's chances in the playoffs really are. But right now they have a good shot to go after the one seed. And if they get that, it's a good, it's a good route to the finals. I, I do think we're, you're sleeping on the suns for the simple fact of like, Mikel Bridges is really good. Um, oh yeah, was it was it Cam Thomas? 
No, it's uh, no, Cam Johnson. Cam, yeah. A lot of cams. Cam Johnson has really broken out. And I think he's the main reason why they've leveled up this year. Kind of uns- like, you know, surprisingly, like he's been the key. DeAndre Aiden is a solid, you know, useful NBA center who's definitely above average, not a max player. Devin Booker, he's Devin Booker. I don't know if he can. You hate him. I don't hate him. I just don't think he can be like the, the best player on a championship team. And Chris Paul is fucking awesome, right? Like, if he's well, healthy, they're, they're, he's they're really good. They're really good. They'll probably get out of the West. I just think that there are a few teams in the East who just have that literal like star power to beat them. Like just guys that will, if it, it you know, if, if it's close, they have the guy that can take over the game. Yeah, I think some people would say Booker can do that. Um, I just nah. it, not, it, not like Giannis onto the Kumbo or Noel yeah. Embiid or James Harden. Well, it gets back to the whole like what makes you elite is getting easy buckets. Yeah. And Booker isn't able to get easy buckets and he's great at hitting tough shots, which is useful in the playoffs, but there's kind of a ceiling about what you can do over a seven game series against a really good team with that being your one skill, unless you're just going to hit like 60% of fadeaway jumpers, which like, if you can do over seven games, go ahead, give him, give him the belt, best player in the world. Um, yeah, like, you know, like that's like Kevin Durant level shit. And I don't think he's there. No. Okay. Final question about Philly. Do we believe that Tyrese Maxey looking great since Harden arrived? Do we think that's like a sustainable thing or is that just kind of like Harden shows up and he's had a good run of games and we're overreacting to that impact for him because he's not going to get a lot of defensive attention because, you know, yeah. So, so for that reason, I would say it's probably sustainable for exactly that. Like he's not uh, inclined, he's not going to get defensive attention with, with James Harden on the floor. Right. And he, I think he's benefiting like, plus he's shooting like 45% from deep on the season or something like that. Like some, something outrageous. Uh, yeah. He's, I mean, he's been, he's been really good. Let's go take a look at his. Yeah. I looked at it earlier too. He's at 42%, 42%, 42% yeah. on five attempts a game. So, I mean, that most of that came before Harden. Like, evidently the kid can shoot it, right? I, I, I think he's an excellent tertiary option. <laughs> yeah, my, my answer would be that I don't see any particular reason to assume that he's going to regress. Of course, he could regress, right? But yeah. Okay, yeah. well, then I guess, I guess the next question is like, can you run a starting lineup with him and James Harden in the playoffs and not get absolutely torched on defense? Cause he's, he's too small to be a good defensive player and Harden, he can do stuff on defense. He's better than people act like he is, but like, I do think he is not a good, he's not a good defensive player. No, I think not, no, at no, his like best, he's, defender, yeah. he's not killing you. No, the, you know, it's kind of interesting when you look at Philly's roster construction in, in terms of their big rotation players, they pretty much only have like really good and really poor defensive players that, that, that regularly see the floor for them. Right. Like, so it's probably going to be matchup dependent and lineup dependent. Like Tobias Harris is not a very good defensive player. I was thinking that his shooting could be a big swing factor in terms True. of their playoff success. Right. Yeah. Like if he can get back to being a 40% three point shooter, the offense should really hum. But on the flip side, maybe they'll find that they have more success with lineups featuring Danny Green and Matisse Thibel, you know, like like with a small ball four, with a wing four. Uh, I guess Gorgeous Niang gives them a little bit of both. Like he can space and he's a pretty good defender, but he's also just like 
not that great at either, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Th- this roster I think needs one more um, off season to like become perfectly calibrated. It might not even matter. I think that the tertiary options not being the best fit. Like I love Matisse Steibel as a defensive player. He's just, he's so, he's such a negative on an offense. It really is. It might not matter when you have fucking Harden and Bede, but they, they seem like they're one player short. And you, you know what? When you have two players as good as Harden and Embiid, two probably top 10 players in the league, I'm saying probably top 10 in that. I don't know if current state Harden is top 10. He's definitely close. It might not fucking matter. And, yeah. but granted, you know, Embiid's been really healthy this year. And we talk about Chris Paul's health. We're not trusting. I'll trust Joel Embiid's health. Never. You don't miss your first two fucking right. years in the league and make no, me right. fucking trust you ever. Like, it's just, it, I can't do it. I, I won't. I won't. The, 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 the concluding thing that I would say about it is that, like, the field is just wide open. You can look at every team, every contender in the league, and there are good reasons to think, like, this team probably won't win the championship. So it's going to be interesting. Definitely. All right. We're done talking about the NBA. Now we're going to talk about the one thing that matters. The thing that puts butts in the seats, baby. The Clutch City crew. Like the fuse. Rockets Roundup. this entire fucking franchise for the next two years or so um until it's either proven that he's a a, not a bust but like until like what his nba future is determined jalen green is leveling up this season he had one game against the nuggets where he actually looked really good as like kind of a playmaker using his penetration and just scoring threat to make good passes and set teammates up, which I thought was like a really good sign. He hasn't done that much. He hasn't been asked to do that much. I kind of wish they would ask him to do that a lot more because I think if that skill really develops, it takes a ton of pressure off of the scoring because we've talked about this ad nauseum. If all you do is score, you have to be so fucking good at it to be an elite NBA player that it Basically, it's almost like it's crazy to say this, but like if you're a 30 point per game scorer, it doesn't actually mean you're like one of the top 15 players in the league, which is crazy. It's crazy. It's well, I mean, we just crazy. saw that with Brad Beal. He was scoring yeah. 30 points a game, but two seasons ago. Yeah. Is that last season even? He didn't make the all No, 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 no. It was, no, no, two, no. Years it was ago. two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like scoring 30 points per game, like doesn't make you an elite offensive option unless like you're just a crazy three point shooter and your gravity is absurd, but like you really need to be able to like play make or defend if you're a 30 point per game scorer in this day and age to be an elite player. So what are some of your thoughts on Jalen green? Cause I really liked what I've seen and it just, it feels like he's, he's figured out that he doesn't just need to try to get layups and doesn't just need to hit step back threes or three pointers. Like it feels like he realized like the spaces in between 
he can be dangerous and he needs to take advantage of those because teams are going to give him those shots. And if they're going to give it to you, take it. Yeah, you're right. We, we talked about several times throughout the year how he, he'd been a two-level scorer, really, right? Yeah. All of his field goal attempts came uh, pretty much like in the restricted area or from three-point range. And the, the, the general consensus was like, well, the kid needs a, a mid-range game. He needs a floater. He needs a turnaround, whatever. It started to look like he actually always had that. And he just maybe wasn't confident to use it or maybe – he was going for home run plays because he wasn't really getting a lot of touches. It's, it's hard to explain what was happening, but all of a sudden he's willing to do things in the mid range and it, it's, it's paying dividends. Obviously um, he's also got better floor vision than I expected, which is, is a really exciting development. He's not, I don't think he's probably ever going to be like an elite passer, but he, 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 he makes good reads. He's a willing passer. He's selfless, more selfless than I expected him to be. And he's a pretty capable passer. Like he, like, his passes are accurate and timely and solid. I think sometimes he can put a little more mustard on them, you know, a little more. His passes are a little bit, a little bit soft sometimes, but yeah, he I, needs a little more abracadabra, razzle matazz, Orlando, <laughs> Orlando, yeah. Orlando magic. He just needs a little bit more of that on his passing. Um, yeah. The unofficial above the break theme song. <laughs> I wish it was my actual theme song. So I, you'll like this. You'll like this. You want to hear this over his past 17 games. He's averaging 17.7 points per game on 45.5% field goal shooting and 35.6% three-point shooting on seven attempts. So basically half of his attempts are coming from three-point range. So that means that 45% field goal percentage means like his two-point field goal percentage is above 50%. And he's at 35% from three-point range. Those are both really good numbers. He's getting 3.6 free throw attempts for a guy that's taking 6.9 two-point attempts per game, that's a pretty healthy margin. So he's getting – so, like, this is the thing that excited me most about Jalen Green's profile early on in his career. And you're going to like some of these comparisons I found. There is basically no one in the NBA that combines his three-point attempt rate and free-throw attempt rate. We're talking about guys that are, like, are in that category, like James Harden-type players, Damian Lillard type players, right? The ability to get free throws and take a fuckload of threes is really hard because as we all know, not that many fouls on three point attempts. So that part of his profile was great. It was just like the shots weren't going in for me. I think he can be statistically a good passer to great passer. Not that he will be a good to great passer, but that statistically those numbers will pop for the simple reason. It's like, if you are as good as he is at getting to the rim, beating the first defender and putting pressure on defenders and making it look like you're going to score passing lanes will open up. Yeah. And he like, he's good. It's going to be those things like he could average like eight assists a game making just easy passes Yeah. because I think he's that gifted at breaking guys down. And obviously you know, if the shot stays consistent, we're talking about a guy who can be really good. The next step for me is just like, give him like, you're the point guard. Like he just needs to be the point guard off and on for the rest of the season, because I want to see what does, what does that do to his mindset? Because I think some guys, when they're given that responsibility, they they go crazy. They either like, I got to pass, I got to set people up or they just go I got the ball. I'm just going to do a bunch of crazy dumb shit. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. We saw that was I think that's what's happened with Kevin Porter Jr. throughout yeah. the season. It's like, you know, okay, you're the point guard. And I think what it, it triggered something in his head where he's like, like you're saying, it's like, okay, well then I need to make passes. And then I think there's a point in the year where he, he realized, like, well, I'm not really an exceptional passer, so I just need to get buckets. But then that kind of stymied the overall offense. And so then he's like, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'm not a point guard, you know, like and I, I he's made some progress, but ultimately as the experiment draws to a close, I, I think we had to conclude that Kevin Porter Jr. is probably not the, the starting point guard of the future. You know, like we're, we're almost done here. He He's had some better stretches of the year, but at the same time, like in his last game, dude, he had like 22 points and one assist, you know, it's like, so, so what's making him a point guard by any stretch? Like, like he's a ball handler. He's a ball handler. He's the point guard because someone needs to bring the ball up the court and start the offense. And by doing that, you will get a few assists a game. Like, yeah. And I just don't think he adds to that assist total enough consistently for you being like, this guy's the playmaking hub and his offensive, his ability to score at the rim has been so poor this year. Um, which is something that's weird because I always thought that would be like his calling card. He's he's morphed into a really strange player. He's become not the player that he once was, and it, it, he's he is still an enigma. And yeah. I just I don't think the Rockets should invest a ton of resources and no. time into figuring out that when you no. have Jalen Green, who's clearly can do most of the things he does, but just better and younger. Yeah, I and under agree. contract I mean, for longer. Like it's that's it's, right. It, it's been a roller coaster for me this year with Kevin Porter Jr. I, there were times I've been really low on, and times I've been really high on. I know. Yeah, and but, I've just been low the entire fucking time. Been low the whole time. Yeah. As as we as we get to the end of the season, I'm more low than I am high, especially on him as our starting point guard. I still believe in him as a really strong yeah. sixth man. You know, yeah, no, I think I, he's got a role as like a useful player on a good team. I think he can get to that point. I just uh, look like he ain't going to be what you need him to be in that role to be a good team. And that's fine because there's like, what, maybe 15, 20 guys in the league that you can kind of do that with. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and that includes Jokic in that category, right? Like I'm not even just talking about guards, but like, it's like, pure players you All know right. it's like like and I, now we're talking about kevin porter jr but that's fine it's fine it's rockets roundup it's the rockets roundup like, round it was always an experiment it's kind of like to me it's like if you said like oh man maybe whipped cream would be really good on mac and cheese you know and it's like then you try it and it's it's not good you Sounds don't want to say well Bad maybe example. it'll be good tomorrow night maybe it'll be good the next night you know like like i swear to god i'm gonna enjoy a fucking mac and cheese with whipped cream on it at some point eventually you gotta go okay you know what this is not a thing right yeah yeah i mean look it's it's fine and the i i just think attaching so much faith into a player being good at a certain position is just crazy what yeah. we've learned about in the modern NBA is that like positional distinctions don't really matter. You just want to find a role where a guy can be good. Yep. And right. Kevin, that avenue still exists for Kevin Porter Jr., but oh, it yeah. is clear it's not, it, one of the things that he's not going to be great at is being the lead ball handler and offensive engine of a good team. And that's fucking fine because once again, there's like basically 20 guys where you can say that like fucking Russell Westbrook can't even say, you can't even say that about him anymore. Right? Like we're not insulting someone. We're simply saying, Hey, for this guy to maximize their NBA career, they're going to have to have a slightly different role than the Rockets have been giving them. 
and the proof is in the pudding. The Rockets' offense fucking stinks. <laughs> like it's yes. not like it's not like there's like some underlying reason why we should have optimism. Their offense fucking stinks, and they employ for all this flaws. Christian Wood, who's a pretty good offensive player, and Eric Gordon, who's a pretty good offensive player, and Gary Bird, who's a pretty good offensive player. It's not like there aren't actual offensive talented players on the team, but they still stink. They still stink. Yeah, like the defense stinks as it should, but you're right. The offense, the offense, if Kevin Porter Jr. was a bona fide point guard, we would probably have like, I don't know, the 19th, 18th offense or something, you know? We're gonna the worst defense in the league no matter what. But if, if, if it was a fact that Kevin Porter Jr. was a absolute, like this is a guy who can be your starting point guard for the future. Yeah. We'd probably be like a middling offensive team. I need to make a joke about Christian Wood. So people out here call him Christian Wood, the cross. And it's a great nickname because he does physically resemble a cross with his arms stretched out wide. He doesn't look like Jesus at the cross. Um, Jesus would never be that selfish on a basketball court. I can tell you that much no, from what no. I understand about religion. He would never <laughs> been that selfish. My knowledge of, of the Bible, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think we got to stop calling Christian Wood the cross. That's given him too much, too much of that holy goodness. I'm starting petition. Christian Wood's new nickname is the twig. Because that's what he is. He is a fucking twig out there. And it carries me to my next question, James. If Christian Wood can't play the five, because we've seen it all season, the defense at the five, just it's not good enough for what he brings on offense. He's not so elite at offense that you can live with whatever the fuck he's doing on defense, um, which is mainly getting dogged. Um, But if he can't play the five, is he even really a useful NBA player? Uh, yeah, um, it's funny. I had a very relevant conversation earlier with our mutual friend, Far West Tweets, uh, one, yeah. one Drew Larson, yeah, who is higher on Christian Ward than me or, or, or you or a lot. And I, like, I, I, my answer is sure. If he was willing to be like a stretch four slash occasional small ball five, probably a reserve, you know, uh, he, he could be a valuable NBA player. Right. If, yeah, if, his, yeah. if his entire role was like, this is a guy that's six foot 10 who can hit 36 or 7% of his threes. So he finds a place in the rotation, you know, for eight, nine, $10 million a year. Like, like he could be a good player. My issue is that he just so clearly wants to be so much more than that. And, and, and that's what ironically I don't think he wants value. I don't think he wants to, I think he believes. And that's the thing. He believes yeah. he's more than that. It's not that he wants to get to that point. It's that he believes he's oh, already right. there. Exactly. And, and yep. like, I think that's actually the most frustrating part is it's like, yo, like there's, you could be better if you didn't believe that you were better. Yeah. Um, and like, that's like a very frustrating thing to see with uh, athletes. I, I, the thing that I've always thought um, with him watching him play center is, you know, how there's guys that are like seven feet tall with like seven, six wingspans. And then there's like six foot nine guys with like seven, two, three wingspans, right? Like those guys play up to their size and the six foot nine guy plays a bit bigger because his wingspan's so long and he's got, he's really strong. Christian Wood plays so much smaller than his listed height. Like I, I don't need to hear that he's six foot 10. He's a center, bro. He plays like he's six foot seven. Yeah. 
right? And like, that's the problem. If he was six foot 10 and played like he was seven feet tall, there would be no issue, but he plays smaller than he is. Part of it's the strength, part of it's the intensity, part of it's, you know, like, Maybe the wingspan isn't what we thought, or I don't even know what the fuck it is, but like maybe the wingspan no, is just not good enough. The intensity though. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, you know, Draymond Green, people are like, oh, like he's a great small ball center. No, he's a fucking great center because he's six foot eight, six foot six range with like a seven foot wingspan and he's strong as fuck and he plays like he's seven foot nine down in the post. Yeah. Rudy Gobert is like seven two or whatever the fuck he is with like a seven six wingspan. He plays like he's 12 feet tall. Like those guys play bigger than they are and they're already big people. Christian Wood's a big dude, but he plays small. And like, I think, I think this problem is like PJ Tucker is the complete opposite. Six foot five, but he plays seven feet tall. I'd rather have him guarding dudes in the post than fucking Christian Wood. Maybe well, not, I mean, to like, that, to, to that point, like more often than not, Jay Sean Tate is checking the, the, the big on the other team because Wood won't do it. Right. So, I mean, that's even worse than PJ Tucker, right? I, I think the Draymond Green comparison is particularly instructive or Tucker in that both of those guys are undersized for the position, even more so than Wood, in terms of like height and wingspan, but they're strong and most importantly, they're intense and effortful and and they're not gonna take it lying down, you know? Like, like Joel Embiid is probably gonna beat Draymond Green, but Dre's not gonna let him, you know? He's, it, yeah, he's not saving yeah. his energy so he can go average 17 and 11. Yeah, exactly. Like, cause that's, so, that's the best biggest thing Christian Wood is like, you watch him play defense and it's like, Oh, like you think you need to save energy. Cause you're the number one option on offense. Yeah. <laughs> like, bro, you have number yeah, one option on the third worst offense in the league. You ain't no number one fucking option. Like shut up. Like no, you're not a number one option caliber player. I, I, I really think his ideal role in the league is like, like Davis Bertans. You know, and, and like not quite as good of a shooter, but a little better at occasionally self-creating, like when he's got a third string matchup on him, you know, but roughly about a, a Davis Pertons level player. Yeah, yeah. He's someone that it's like he really like if he was playing next to two really good players, we'd be like Christian Woods really, really good. And when he's the best player, you're like, oh fuck. Like he just because there, there are guys that understand their limitations and understand what leads to winning. And Christian Wood is clearly not a player that understands those two things. And part of it might just be he looks around at the roster and he's like, this is the only way for us to compete. Christian, I hate to break it to you. There is no way the Rockets are competing this year. That was like no. literally the point of this season is like they weren't going to compete. And you doing your ISO bullshit isn't going to like eke out a few extra wins. It actually ekes out a few extra losses, which it does. Exactly. <laughs> Dude, we would, I think we would have two more wins this year if we just ran it through Jalen Green from the beginning, you know, which I'm not even advocating for. But like in theory, I, I, I can't see that this Christian Wood thing, it's like, bro, we're not competing. So if you think this is the way for us to compete, like, okay, we're the worst team in the conference. It's pretty obviously not working, you know? Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. Being on a shitty team is tough, right? Like, because guys that are bad, or not bad, guys that are good are asked to be great. Guys that are bad are asked to be good. And it just doesn't fucking work. And, you know, like you need a guy presumably. And I think this is the issue with Silas's offense more. So it's like his offense is predicated on someone being good at basketball at a level that the Rockets don't really have right now. Like you can see flashes from Jalen green and flashes from Kevin Porter jr. Where they look really good, but it's like, 
for this offense to consistently work, you fucking need Luka Doncic. You need fucking James Harden. You need someone that you can be like, here's the rock. You're going to generate a fuckload of points. And these guys are going to like orbit around you and it's going to be great. And Christian Woods thinking he's like, I am the center of the offense. And it's like, dude, just be a tertiary part, be on a shitty team. Instead of being the 27th ranked offense, you guys will be the 26th or 25th ranked offense. You're helping the team be a little bit better, but you doing this is just, you just watch it. And it's like, you can just see the guys as soon as he gets the ball go, I ain't getting the ball. He's going to shoot yeah, and he's going to miss and he's not going to run back and he's going to look at the ref and he's going to be like, Hey man, why am I not getting the superstar calls? And the refs look at me like, bro, I don't even know the fuck you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah no i know it has it, 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 i think he really has a, like a deflating effect on the whole team it's true like even though i think guys kind of like him on a personal level like re- reports are that he he recently rented out a theater so everybody could go see the batman which we've been plugging amply on, on this episode like i don't think it's even interpersonal i think it's literally on court basketball stuff like yeah, yeah. yeah like uh, you're right jalen green sees that wood has the ball and he goes i might as well just get to the corner you know, maybe, maybe next possession. Uh, maybe if he then, gets triple teamed, he'll pass it. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. on defense, I think guys go, well, we don't have rim protection. So if I get beat, like there's no, you know, like it's just, it's just demotivating. Yeah. And, and that's why I really wish they were running Shangun a bit more. Apparently there's some conditioning concerns with him and there's the fouls, yeah. but like Shangun fouls a lot because the Rockets perimeter defense is so yeah. fucking bad that he's, like trying to cover two Always people contesting and trying to, con- yeah. and he tries to contest it. And like, yeah, he fouls it, but like he actually tries to stop people from fucking scoring. And Christian Woods kind of like, Oh, that guy didn't do his job. I'm not going to do mine. Yeah. Right. Like Always it's like, it's, it's like kind of that like vibe. And it's like, dude, Wood, just foul the fuck out. You got LP yeah. backing you up. Like it's, like, it's like, you know, and like that to me is the the thing is that it's like, and I, cause this is kind of like, I also think like Shingoon and Wood are just so different players. Shingoon is like, give me the ball. I'm going to get in the post, bully fucking people, get layups, get free throws, kind of hit my free throws, um, you know, get the ball in the high post, make passes. And as soon as he's in the game, and as soon as he touches the ball, guys go, if I do something smart, he's going to reward me. And like, that's why I love great passers is because it gets everyone to be like, you can't, you, you play pickup. Like, you know, when that guy, as soon as he gets the ball, you're like, well, he's just going to try to score. You don't fucking move off ball. You might like kind of like stand around the perimeter and like provide spacing and maybe you'll get a catch and shoot opportunity, but you're not going to make a good cut. Cause it's like, I'm not fucking running for no reason. And like, that's the problem with wood. You're running for no reason on offense. And then on defense, it's just like, yo, like, just fucking try to stop them, even if you're going to foul out. Like, because that's why Shangun's fouling out. It's because he's trying way too fucking hard. Like, he needs to learn. He needs to take notes from Christian Woods' defense on how not to try a bit. That's right. Let's let's bring it home, man. All right. Yeah, no, I had big feelings. Big feelings. Um, <laughs> man, you know, as a Wizards. Oh, I will say this. Kristaps Porzingis' first game for the Wizards looked really good. He just needs to stay healthy and he can be a top 50 player. So pray for Porzingis's knee and back or just pray for him. He, he needs to stay healthy. Okay. That concludes our Rockets roundup. This was episode 12 of Above the Break. As always, this is Nevin Brown and I'm joined by my trusty, trusty superstar, James Piercy. 
Yeah, there we go. Try to lay, throw up the lob. If you like this podcast, which you do because you made it to the end, like, subscribe, rate, review. Tell us, uh, tell people about us if you have the time, or you know that'd be nice. We use some more plugs. <sighs> James, you want to plug anything on the 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 Dream Shake? Uh, yeah, I'll just plug the Dream Shake. You know, go check it out. We write about the Houston Rockets. I think we write consistently good stuff about the Houston Rockets. Go read it. Definitely go check out the Dream Shake. It's uh, good stuff. It's better than Space City Scoop. I'll tell you that much. But if you want second tier <laughs> Rockets content, check out Space City Scoop. <laughs> I, I I don't know about that. It's not a competition. I I, I got a piece coming out this week. I'll I'll, I'll plug this. It's called uh, Alperin Shangoon is a problem, and it's about how he's really really great, but he's also a difficult player archetype to build around. So it's a double meaning on the title. I think it's gonna be a dope piece. I think that's actually a good article. I'm glad you told me it so I can publish it at Space City Scoop no! first. <laughs> I gotcha. Oh, yeah. Um, anyways, remember, rate, review, like, subscribe. We'll be back probably in less than a week, hopefully, because it took a while to get this episode out. And as always, peace. Peace.